This podcast was originally recorded last year. Some of the facts and events we discuss may now be slightly out of date, and so please bear this in mind when listening. We hope you enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back everyone to Collier Bristow's US-UK podcast. This is the second half of a two-part episode looking at everyday planning for the average American. Uh, I have the pleasure of being joined again by Lawrence Lee, an investment manager with Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. Lawrence, thank you so much for joining me again. How are you? I'm good. Good to still be with you, Aidan. Wonderful. Marvellous. Last time, you were giving some guidance or, and some signposting for how and when the everyday American might think about their investment management. And I'm going to turn us in this discussion towards some estate planning tips at the end of this episode. Um, But I'd like to ask you, Lawrence, to drill down a little bit more into the bits that we were talking about at the end of the previous episode, about some of those red flags or those pitfalls that Americans might discover in their own wealth management and that which might cause them to go and seek professional advice. And the one that I probably come across more frequently than anything else, and that's probably a drop in the ocean compared to you, is self-investment and thinking that that you can manage your own portfolio by yourself. That is presumably something that you come across not infrequently in your career. That, that's right. Unfortunately, we come across it um, often when it's it led to led to mistakes. So it's uh, the pitfalls we're, we're very uh, familiar with. So when can self-investment work in theory? And insofar as it's likely not to work what are some of the things that you see in your experience when those clients then come forward it having not worked that are the points at which you want to recommend to people this is the point at which i think you need to take advice yeah so so the first thing to, to say on this just taking a step back is it's it's important for clients that want to do it themselves to understand the rules before they start or or, or even better before they come to the uk because there are things you can do whilst you're in the us that, that are more difficult to do in the UK. And, and I'll come on to that shortly. But this this comes down to having that joined up approach. So when clients approach us, when they're still in the States, we, we tell them speak to an accountant based in the UK or has expertise in the UK and the US, both regimes, because there are, as I said, things that you can still do that saves you the penalties going forward whilst you're in the US. The, ne- the next point to consider is the platform that you're using. So we see a lot of clients come to the UK, they start training themselves on online platforms or, or whatever. Those platforms, they have no reason to know or understand the US tax laws. So they, they could be promoting to the client certain products or funds or ISAs, which we already spoken about. That US UK client may, may think it's suitable for them. But oh, I think bit, what, or what, Bitcoin, what, God forbid. <laughs> yes, uh, that's a whole other podcast. Um, <laughs> And I think this is where it's very important to say, as we've been saying throughout this podcast, just because it's suitable for a UK person, it does not mean it's suitable for a US person. And we've been teeing up and hinting at at the actual rules, but I'll come on to that now. And there's a word a lot of people will be familiar with, a lot of US people in the UK, which is PFIX or Passive Foreign Investment Companies. This, in essence, basically means any fund that's not US listed. The reason for this is the IRS, the US tax authorities, they're not going to try and understand how every foreign fund should be taxed. Uh, you've got the language barrier, obviously, but it, 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 you know it's not in their interest to go through every foreign fund, every German fund, every UK fund and understand how they should be taxed. So their view is we're going to tax everything that, that we don't understand that's not US listed in, in a punitive way. 
um, which can be very disadvantageous for, for US clients. Adding to this, owning PFIX, passive foreign investment companies, which are non-US funds, can mean many more tax filings for clients. And, and that can cost them much more money through their accountant. That can take a long time. We've seen instances where clients have portfolios made up of PFIX and every single PFIX has its own page on the tax return. It, it can it can be very laborious for clients. Uh, so it's really something that should be avoided. Let's say the client, they've worked out what a PFIC is, they've worked out what they can invest in, they've found a load of US listed ETFs they can buy. The next complication comes down to the UK site and the HMRC. And, and for the same reason, the HMRC aren't going to try and understand every single US fund either. The HMRC say you can only buy a fund that, that reports into us every year on an annual basis. And this is called HMRC reporting status. And most funds do not report into the HMRC that are based in the US for obvious reasons. A mutual fund is a very good example of this. A lot of Americans probably have portfolios filled with mutual funds. They were great in the US. They don't work in the UK. And this comes down to really doing your research early or speaking to professional early. And, and when I said earlier, there are things you can do in the US you can't do in the UK, such as sell your mutual funds to not get that punitive tax when you're coming over to the, to the UK. And then just closing up this section on PFIX and reporting status, that, that really leaves a relatively small universe of funds which, which meets both regimes. So what we tend to find is that on a client say, okay, buying funds is difficult. I'm going to start investing in, in direct equities or direct bonds, which is absolutely fine. But there is a complication here, and we've seen this unfortunately before, that there are certain products listed on, on the UK market, for example, that look just like a single stock. They, they trade when the stock market opens. You can buy and sell them whenever you like when the market's open. And they're called investment trusts or investment companies. They're actually collective investments and they are a PFIC. Um, so the client can go off and say, I found a load of direct equities I want to buy. And unfortunately, they can still fall into the trap of, of owning PFICs. Is it not the case, only because I, I I've had this a couple of times, or I've had it quite recently once with the client, even when you think you're dealing with, let's say, I'm putting air quotes around this, only only bonds. Um, even things like in the US municipal bonds that are g- given sort of potentially tax preferential status in the US are still not necessarily very good in the UK. So you can't even necessarily rely upon thinking, oh, I'm just dealing with what I think is a direct investment. It's, it's sometimes even complicated at that level. That, that's exactly right. And, and that's a good example. And the UK equivalent is a UK gill for government bonds. Yeah. So, Anyone reading the press at the moment will, will probably have seen that UK gilts are extremely attractive because they, there's no capital gains tax on the gain. And at the moment, they're trading significantly below par. So 99% of the gain you're making is, is from the capital. However, they are taxed in the US. So you, you might be quoted a gross equivalent yield for, for a gilt, taking into account the tax that you would have paid on interest in your savings account. But that's irrelevant for a US person because they still have to pay tax in, in the US. So, so that's a good example. And, and that's exactly right. Yeah. If there's any message that someone needs to think about, it's if you are in a position where you are fortunate enough to start thinking about where your wealth's going to go, unless you're going to tread a very narrow path down the middle of the road in what you invest in, and you know very clearly that you must invest in some direct stock or some direct equities, and you don't stray any further than that, anything further away from the middle of the road than that, you do run a real risk of getting yourself into trouble. That's exactly right. And I'm going to be the bearer of bad news and make it a bit more complicated. Here, <laughs> oh, goody. Change. <laughs> you know, the, the, they the, do. Sadly, for Americans, they can't just have one eye on, on, the, on the UK and UK budgets and UK tax changes. They've got to have an eye over in the US as well. 
because any rule change in the US or the UK or both can, can affect their situation. Um, so they may Google, look online. Obviously, there's a risk that that information may be inaccurate. It potentially, it potentially will be. But even if it is accurate, it may have been accurate for two years ago, but but not today. And you've really got to keep at the forefront of any any changes in the rules uh, to keep on top of these different tax regulatory regimes in both countries. I would, I'll give you I'll give you uh, two examples I've I've cited quite recently to clients, or quite recently and frequently to clients. Um, one is I mentioned at the beginning in the first half of this episode that you know where you have relatively simple um, affairs, it's usually possible to claim a credit in the US for the tax paid in the UK or vice versa. That is broadly fine because at the moment, our tax rates in the UK on income and capital gains are broadly similar. Um, The UK has a currently slightly higher rate of income tax than the federal rate of income tax in the US on ordinary income. And the US has a slightly higher rate of capital gains tax on long-term capital gains than in the UK, if you take into account the Obamacare tax. And so it might be that there's no real additional tax to pay in one country because you get effectively a credit for all the tax you've paid in your sort of the principal country. But there's no guarantee that our tax rates will stay the same. Certainly the UK has flirted with, and at time of recording, there are still rumblings about changes to, for example, capital gains tax. Capital gains were... I think most recently taxed at income tax rates as little as around 15 years ago. And if income tax rates are already 40, 45% in the UK, then an increase of capital gains being taxed as part of your income at up to 45% would then put our income ta- our capital gains tax rate in the UK at almost twice as much as in the US. And that would create a significant difference. So your point, Lawrence, is is, is well met and, and I, I echo strongly. You have to not even watch just not even laws changing per se, but just the rates things change out. That can produce a, a significant difference. And then the example I give frequently about rules changing for American taxpayers I've had clients who took advice in 2015, 2016, say, on their estate planning on their tax status as UK residents. Maybe they went to the US and they're thinking of coming back now. The UK significantly changed their rules on how you become a deemed domiciliary for UK tax purposes in 2017. And someone who took advice in 2016 um, or who came back to the UK having taken advice in 2016 and then didn't hear any more about it would not have realised that our rules changed in 2017 and could find themselves now with a much greater UK tax exposure than they thought at the time. It can go the other way, of course. In 2018, or from the start of 2018, the US doubled their estate tax allowance, and they doubled it from what was, I think, around five and a half at the time to around 11, and it's now almost 13. Um, That is itself going to go back down to pre-2018 levels from the start of 2026. That sort of swung both ways. So it, it can go both ways. I just wanted to take the points to really hammer home and echo what you said, Lawrence, that you do have to have an eye on the tax changes. It can be a very short period of time. Unfortunately, for clients, I know they'll say, well, you're a lawyer, of course you'd say this. It unfortunately can be that the law moves very quickly and the advice you had received can swiftly uh, move out of date. And so I guess the only thing to say is if anyone feels that they're in that position or is at any point ever concerned, they should go and consult with Lawrence or with a lawyer or with an accountant just as a health check uh, to say, has anything changed in the time since we last dealt with this? Is there anything I should be doing substantively or even on a low level to make sure that my affairs are still in order, still efficient, and my wealth is still being managed prudently? 
a slightly more circuitous uh, route through that discussion, Lawrence, than um, I was probably expecting when I started it. I, I, I got more passionate about it than I, uh, <laughs> than I thought I was going to. Other pitfalls or opportunities as an American that arise that you tend to talk about frequently with clients? Yeah, and so I'll get on to the opportunities, but in terms of pitfalls, I think there's two more important ones to note. The first one is about diversification in portfolios. So an individual doing investing themselves, they may be very good at investing. They may have had a lot of experience. Um, it, it may be a hobby for them, but they probably would only know their home market, so the UK, the US, or, or both. And, and the issue with this that we find with clients, you build up portfolios that are very concentrated in one particular country or even sectors that that client knows and, and loves. And, and over time, that can really negatively affect performance because countries become unloved, uh, like the UK, for example, since the Brexit vote, a lot of the volatility we've seen since then, and sectors become unloved as well. And I, I think individuals, they really need to, to analyze if they feel comfortable getting exposure to, to countries and sectors they don't necessarily know very well, maybe Japanese companies or small companies, an area that I, I focus on. The, the, these other liquid markets, which can be a very good source of diversification that the average UK, US person will, will find it difficult to access. And, and adding to this, what I spoke about earlier, different asset classes to reduce risk, having some of your money in equity market, some of your money in a fixed income market, and some of your money in alternatives to make sure that something in your portfolio is always doing well when, when potentially the other asset class may not be doing as well. This reduces overall risk. That, that can be a very difficult thing for an individual that doesn't have the expertise around them to, to really navigate. And, and then following on from that, as I said, you can buy individual stocks and bonds. People are good off buying funds because of all the rules around them. But with that comes massive investment risk. Building a portfolio of just a few companies can really uh, give rise to volatility. You really need to understand those businesses. You really need to have that fundamental analysis to understand the valuations, et cetera. It's very difficult to do this for an individual investor. I mean, presumably then, that's it, that's why funds exist. I mean, funds are great for most people because you get to have a tiny piece of each company and you massively reduce your risk. It's just that it doesn't work across countries. Exactly. And, and that's why funds are a very good way to get diversification. But coming back to the issue with funds, there's a lot of stress around going on to HMRC list, seeing what happens mm-hmm. in status, making sure it's not a P-stick. So, you know, sadly, Americans are pushing different directions and there are there are risks of both things. And, and then finally, on the pitfalls, reporting. Americans need to file on, on their worldwide um, income. They need to file that in the US. And th- th- there's no requirement or need for a purely UK wealth manager or online platform, for example, that, that an American may be chosen to do their own trades through to provide a US-friendly report. They're, they're not going to do that. They're going to give the client a UK tax report that shows their gains in income in sterling for the UK tax year. Well, obviously, the, the U.S. is in dollars and the U.S. tax is different. So to interpret that, to do the return on the IRS, it's not an easy thing to do. And you're going you're gonna to have to have an accountant that goes through that, working out what falls and what tax year, doing the FX exchanges, et cetera. That could add a, another layer of complexity of someone choosing to sell from there. I've had several Americans say to me, well, we could solve all this bush by you having a proper sensible tax year that ends on the 31st of December, rather than the 5th of April. And I say to them, oh, but it's wonderfully parochial and interesting and old-fashioned and positively medieval as to why we've got a, a 5th April tax year end. And on another podcast, I'll talk about where that comes from. It still wouldn't get us around the dollar sterling issue. I see that with clients frequently and, and, and certainly with trust, which is going to be an episode we do in the future, we'll, we'll come on to this same issue about producing tax reports, you're exactly right, that are done purely on the basis of one country or the other. 
are inevitably going to be incomplete because exactly as you say, it's done on either a sterling or a dollar basis and it's done on a US or a UK tax year basis. I think if everyone by now isn't feeling sufficiently concerned and thinking, I I should go away and just make sure that I don't have any of these investments, I, I would be surprised. I want to take a little bit of time, the last few minutes that we have left, just to reflect on a couple of the estate planning issues uh, that can often arise for your everyday American, because it is true that on a sort of day-to-day basis, your annual tax reporting and your investment management are things that are going to present themselves to you more readily. However, the classic refrain for estate planning is that it's never too urgent until it's too late. And so it is something that people should think about. I know because I've met enough Americans living in the UK who feel that because maybe they feel sufficiently scared as a result of all of the doom harboring and doom mongering that we've done in this episode, that it's going to be quite complicated and costly, and therefore it's not something they want to stomach or or, or can think about doing. Now, I can't say that estate planning for Americans in the UK is never complicated. It can be, and it can be particularly complicated where you are inheriting wealth across borders. So I say a UK resident beneficiary, someone of can Accord's uh, client portfolio comes to Can Accord and says, I've just inherited some money from my parents in the States. And, you know, uh, Lawrence, can you help me please um, invest this properly? It can get more complicated there. But if a couple are sitting thinking that this is something they want to think about for themselves, I want to just reassure people that there is no reason per se why simple estate planning cannot still be efficient. There are some rules in the US and the UK that we need to be careful of and we need to take into account, but planning is definitely and certainly possible and it is still something that Americans living in the UK should think about. Principally, as regards their will planning, the best thing that people can actually do starts before they make their will or certainly you know what they do during their lifetime, which is to say, keep their estate planning simple, keep their asset ownership simple. So rather than, which would be common, Lawrence, with, with, with clients of yours, if you were a US wealth manager, they may hold their portfolios through some form of structure like a trust or an LLC. We in the UK would always rather people just hold their wealth in their own name. We'd rather there be no corporate or trust structures involved at a fundamental level, unless someone has taken specific advice in the UK and any other jurisdiction saying, yes, this works for this person. And then from there, you build the foundation of the will and you can sort of build on top lifetime planning instead. The main thing that Americans living in the UK need to know about UK tax when it comes to their estate planning is that our exemption from our death duty inheritance tax is significantly lower than the exemption from US estate tax, the allowance, I should say, that I referenced earlier on. The allowance in the US is almost $13 million per US taxpayer. So call it $26 million for a US couple as at the date of recording. The absolute maximum that someone in the UK can give away free of inheritance tax as a couple is is a million pounds or £500,000 per person. Indeed, it can be as low as £325,000 per person if they haven't made any gifts during their lifetime. And that's the, the sort of the, the slight concern that meets people from the US is they think, oh gosh, well, I thought I was going to be fine, but it turns out I'm going to pay tax in the UK where I thought I wasn't going to. That is certainly something I spend lots of time talking to clients about. But I also like to try and flip that round and say, you know, going back to the principal person for whom this podcast is directed, if you are someone who has wealth under those thresholds, who has wealth in the UK and the US under a, a million pounds as a couple, 
then you're not going to pay tax at your death, provided you adhere to a couple of key principles. Um, And so notwithstanding any other planning you want to do, you can actually take quite a a straightforward view to your estate planning. And it becomes more about the other reasons why we do estate planning, like protecting wealth for young children, making sure funds are available after your death for your dependents, and so on, rather than being paralyzed by fear because you feel that the tax is going to arise um, and you don't know what to do about it. The last thing I wanted to mention, and Lawrence, I don't know how frequently you come across this with your clients, is loss of capacity and putting in place the proper documentation to make sure that any third party, but let's say for the sake of argument, your investment managers, or can accord, let's say, have the ability to continue to act for you. And that is to reflect on whether you should be putting in place a lasting power of attorney in the UK for um, either your financial decisions or your health and welfare decisions as regards your health and welfare. There are separate US documents that you can put in place, but those um, only deal with US affairs and they aren't portable to the UK. And so those are things that people in the UK should certainly reflect quite strongly on whether they should be putting in place. So I think, Lawrence, we have looked at the general premise of tax exposure. We've looked at investment management uh, on the, in its broadest terms. And I've, I've touched on where the do's and don'ts of sort of estate planning lie in its most fundamental I want someone who's listening to this episode who's thinking, this is all well and good, and, and I think I understand things, but I'm still not entirely sure where to go from here. I think you're going to tell me, please correct me if I'm wrong, I think you're going to tell me that this is possibly the point at which they should be thinking about going to speak to, well, in my case, it's a lawyer. If they're doing their tax reporting, it's an accountant. But certainly on your side, um, they should be seeking professional help. They should be seeking an investment manager, a wealth manager, because in the long term, that's going to save them time, money, and probably a lot of stress as well. Yeah, that's right. And I wanted to, uh, to conclude the podcast with some positives. And that there are... <laughs> oh, good. I, 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 <laughs> I've been very good at listing all the pictures for, for, for investment management for, for US people and the complexities involved. But there are so many solutions. And, and that, that's what we specialise here, here at Canaccord. And, and the first thing to say is I spent a lot of time talking about T-Fix and HMRC. And I probably scared a few people on those points. If not, people may have fallen asleep. But the point to say on that is a US UK specialist takes all that worry away from the client. They give them the peace of mind because we use our own external advisors to make sure everything we're buying for our US client is is both PFIT compliant and also HMRC uh, compliant. That that gives our clients peace of mind. Following on from that, the reporting side of it, a wealth manager in the UK that specializes in US clients, you're going to get the reporting you need. You're going to get your tax report in sterling and dollars and you're going to get your tax reports for the UK tax year and the US tax year, which provides that solution rather than getting your accountant to try and work it out and downloading things into Excel and doing loads of FX. You'll make your accountants a lot happier. Exactly. That's one way to make (laughs) an accountant smile. I haven't found many ways, but (laughs) I'm kidding. That is one way. Um, And and that brings me on to investment process. I, I spoke about the limitations in terms of what you can and can't buy, but I want to, I want to give people the peace of mind that, even though there are limitations, there's still so many options. And, and we call it the best, the best tool for the job at Canaccord. And, and that means if we find a sector of the, mar- of the market or a country or a region or, um, as I said, a sector that we like and want to get exposure to, you can get that through an active fund, a passive fund like an ETF, or directly through fixed income or direct equities. And clients have the peace of mind that wealth managers such as Canaccord, we have internal and external analysts which are reviewing constantly our list of approved assets to, to make sure those are the companies, the sectors, the ETFs, the funds 
that we like, that we think are going to grow in, in, the, in the long term. On top of that, for US clients, you also get that peace of mind that all those assets have been vetted to, to ensure they're PFIC and uh, HMRC compliant. And we did speak about this, that clients' objectives do change as, as they get older or the circumstances change or they want to pay for school fees or think about retirement. The job of the wealth manager is to adapt to those client circumstances, have portfolios that can adapt to their changing circumstances. But also for U.S. people, we see U.S. clients, they potentially may be going back to the U.S. for retirement. They may be retiring in Europe. They may want to have a conversation about having different currencies in their portfolio. They may want to increase the dollar allocation or the euro allocation because they're going to be withdrawing some of those funds to, to, to have a lifestyle in, in a different country. And the final two points I want to discuss on, on, this, on this part is, is talking about going to a wealth manager that is relatively big. And I think this is very, very important for the U.S. space. Because although, as I said, you can get exposure to the mo- most things you want to get exposure to in a U.S.-friendly manner, there are new investment opportunities that may not have sufficient funds out there that are PFIC and HMRC compliant. And the benefit of being a large investment manager such as Canaccord, we manage over 33 billion certainly of client assets for UK and US clients. We can approach those fund managers and we can say to them, we have clients invested with you already. You have this fund. Do you mind making that HMRC compliant? And more often than not, they turn around and say, yes, of course, you know, if that's going to increase demand for, for that fund, they can go and do that. And, and it's all about finding solutions to the, to the clients and giving them the benefit of the heart's knowledge and also know that there's going to be always parts of the market that, that they can access, even if they think they, that they can't. And just on that positive note, I'm going to end with something which I think and we at Canical think is very important. Having presence in the US, as we do, and not a lot of our competitors do, I think that removes home country bias. We see a lot of our US clients, they come over to the UK, they've got big accounts full with US companies because, as I said earlier, that's what they know. That's what they know and love, and it has worked previously. But you need to remember that there are years that, that the US tech companies may underperform, and, and having that global, that global knowledge and the global experience in different markets and the global exposure means that a, a client can always have part of their portfolio that's doing well, even if the wider market's doing poorly. Take last year, for example, the NASDAQ in the US, which has been flying for, for so many years. It fell 30% last year because interest rates started rising. Big tech companies that are on high valuations don't do as well when interest rates rise. But guess what? The UK market finished the year up last year. And, and that's what we try and do for clients. We try and always make sure that part of their portfolio is in a market that is benefiting. Uh, and I think that's where you get the added value of, of working with a, a wealth and investment manager. This is where, if this was a video, visual medium, Lawrence's email address and his telephone will be flashing on the screen at the bottom saying, call now, call now. Consider it well-received. On behalf of the listeners, Lawrence, consider this, me being the only one who's live with you right now, consider it well-received. If anyone listening to this episode wants to get in contact with Lawrence, I know because I did it when I found out that he was on his UK small caps stock committee, whatever it's called, I've now forgotten. You can certainly Google him if you if, if you search for Lawrence's name on the internet, and I'm sure he'd be happy to help with any questions that you have. Lawrence, thank you so much for joining me today and over both of these episodes. It's been a real pleasure to, to talk to you. Thank you to you, the listener, for joining us. Join us again next time when we'll be delving into yet another fascinating US-UK topic, and please do leave us a review on whatever platform you are listening to us. Thank you very much.